The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Into uh, Mark chapter 7 this morning, and Mark chapter 7, and uh, if you're visiting with us, we're in a verse-by-verse study, and have been for the last, uh, about a year or so, uh, through Mark chapter 7. I just want you to know this, just so you are ready, uh, it looks like we are going to finish up Mark right before the turn of the decade. So uh, uh, I I outline this out because it's good to know where we're headed and, and how to set up. We're even looking at next year's preaching calendar already. Uh, So if you're wondering, we are getting close, guys. We're halfway there almost. Chapter 8 is halfway. Praise the Lord. Amen. And you are two sermons away from halfway. So hold on. We're almost there as God allows. But uh, it's been refreshing, I pray, to see Mark's gospel, to see how these real people dealt with real issues with a real Savior at a real historical time. It's amazing because God used them despite them. And and what a, what a good thing that is. Well, Mark chapter 7. Today we're looking at the heart of the problem, and we're getting into that time of year uh, where uh, family reunions are coming up. Some of you abhor family reunions, save the food. Uh, some of you love family reunions. Some of you are those families that have the same T-shirt, and like you walk around at World of Fun, and you all look the same because you don't want to lose anybody, right? And others, you're just like, man, we just got to get out of here as quick as we can. But whatever it is, it's that time of year. And on a more serious note, I, I remember as a boy being in St. Joe, where my family's primarily from, uh, as a boy, a uh, teenage boy. And my mother told me never to forget these words. And almost 20, 25 years later, I remember these words so clearly. She said, there isn't anything that comes out of the mouth of a drunk that wasn't there in the heart in the first place. Okay, Mom, thanks for the good reminder. And at that same time, at a family reunion some 25, almost 27 years ago, a family member who has passed away now had consumed too much to drink. And he began saying some very perverse things. And knowing the excuses that would follow, my mom took me aside and gave the opportunity to disciple me with a street-level theology by sharing the, the verse that you know well, Luke 6, 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, but the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance or the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Luke 6, 45. And this may be difficult to accept, even as a child, because it requires a humble and honest examination. And you and I are more like my family member than unlike him. Maybe we're a little bit more decent and don't get drunk or speak perversely in public, but we do share at least three things in common with my now long-deceased family member. Our hearts are never completely free from evil this side of heaven. Secondly, we speak more evil more regularly than we think. It's just on Facebook and social media and not always in person. But we blame, thirdly, the evil speech on outside triggers like annoying people, stressful situations, I didn't sleep at a Holiday Inn last night, or alcoholic beverages. Have you ever said, I didn't mean to say that? I mean, come on. Who hasn't said that? Husbands, you put your foot in your mouth more than you think. Amen? 
But after realizing you say something ungodly, the more biblical response would be to say, please forgive me for saying what I really meant to say. You see, if we're going to understand our trouble with the words and find a solution, we must begin with the heart. What we say with our loose lips reveals what we desire in our sinful hearts, does it not? This is why James in James chapter 4, and Amy will put this on the screen, that what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you, James reminds us, is that it's the passions that are at war within you. It would be so much easier, wouldn't it, to get 101 ways to fix your speech or your talk, filled with strategies and techniques from the latest authors to help select and implement the right vocab. But that's just putting a Band-Aid on a problem that can't be seen by the human eye. That wouldn't solve any of the root issues. That's why James said in, uh, later in that chapter, he says, Submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil and purify your hearts. Because the gospel promises nothing less than a new heart, one that is no longer enslaved to the passions of sinful nature. And with that new heart comes new words and a new desire. But Darren, people grow up in terrible environments and it's never their problem. Friends, sin is always the problem. It is, is it not? Why do people fight? Why do people go to a Chiefs game and their buddies one day and then they don't get their way and they start slugging each other and have to go outside? Because sin rules in the heart. So why should my heart be fixed where my home is not? I hope we answer that question today. And what is it that you, by God's grace, need to prune in your life today that will allow the flowers of faith, obedience, surrender, courage, and hope to flourish in your heart. Friends, I want to remind you today, the big idea, if you're visiting, this is our summary of the sermon, if you will, of the verses we're looking at, but uh, since sin is greater than your bad behavior, simply trying to do better is not the answer. I've tried that a lot. You have too. But we're reminded that only God's free grace changes us in the heart that can be rescued from that. Because God loves you, there are times when your heart is going to hurt because of your sin. But that hurt is sent by God so you will face what you need to face, confess what you need to confess, and rest in Him as the only one to be rested upon and grow where you need to grow. So I want to look at this, and I, for my seminary friends here, you know this is uh, the PNP as we call it, but I want to look at three places. This is really going to attract people, guys. Three places for defilement in your life. Oh, wow. Really? Well, Jesus speaks about them. First, he's going to say that defilement starts on the inside. And it secondly rots in the heart. And finally, what's on the inside will reveal its fruit on the outside. Do you remember last week, Jesus got up and he spoke to the Jews about tradition about how the things they did looked great on the outside, but when it got on the inside, it was terrible. It's like that person, I mean no disrespect to this, that you drive by their house, and they've got like a $50,000 car, and then you look at the outside of the house, and you think, but why didn't you just use that to paint the house? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? This is exactly what Jesus is speaking of. He is bold and courageous, and he preaches. He fears no man. He tickles no ears. He withdraws no truth. And in these verses, he is going to give us a bad report card. I hate going to the dentist. Can I say that again? I hate going to the dentist. No matter how much you floss, no matter how much you scrub, no matter how much you brush, they always find something. 
And Jesus does that here. Well, in these words, God opens up the human heart, spiritually speaking, and looks into it. And he says that what is on the inside of every person who's ever lived is his problem. Not his environment, not his neighbor, not his past generational history, although those may contribute. The main source of the problem is the human heart. But Darren, aren't we just born neutral? I mean, aren't we just born with a clean slate and we make these decisions and do these things? Friends, I'm grateful we were not born with a clean slate, but God told us exactly what we have. We have a problem. And often we say, I say this all the time, maybe you do, well, well, they just have truth in the head, but nothing in the heart. And you know, I was accosted by God this week as I studied that that statement is absolutely unbiblical. Because God never makes that distinction because the heart represents the totality of who you are, everything about you. Your mind, your emotion, and your will are all wrecked by sin, and that is what needs to be corrected. And the problem is, is we have a sin problem. Why is there racism in the world? There's a sin problem. Why is there favoritism in the world? There's a sin problem. Why is there mixing of, uh, of what people know themselves to be and changing who they are, quote unquote, there's a sin problem. Why are there fights in churches? There's a sin problem. Why do people not believe Jesus is the only way to heaven? There is a sin problem, and it starts at the heart. And Jesus is going to tell these guys, look, you can throw all this hand sanitizer, 100% alcohol on your hands you want, guys. That ain't the problem. The problem is within you. And that's where it starts. Boy, preaching verse by verse really takes the wind out of you sometimes because you look at these verses and say, how do you find hope out of this passage? Friend, I'm grateful if you're a Christian here today, despite the, 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 the deceitful heart that Chris read to us, that if you are in Christ, you have a new heart. You have a new life, eternal life. doesn't mean you're perfect, obviously, but it means you have the God of the universe working despite you and the problem that lies within. With that in mind, will you join me in standing in honor of God's word this morning if you're able? Uh, as we look at Mark chapter 7, verses 14 to 23. And of course, this is on the heels of, of Jesus talking to them about truth and tradition. But here's what it says. Hear God's word this morning. And he, that's Jesus, called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him that can defile him. But the things that come out of that person are what defile him. And when he entered into the house and left the people, his disciples asked him the parable. And he said to them, Then are you without understanding? Do you not see whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters into his heart but his stomach and is expelled? And thus, and this is Mark's inspired commentary, thus he declared all foods clean. Verse 20. And Jesus said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of a man, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. But pastor, if you just get them to the right psychologist and teach them a few good tricks, they're going to be very good people. That isn't what the Bible says, is it? It comes from within. Let's look at this. This is grim. This is real. This is raw. But there is hope for us, if you're a Christian here today, of how to fight this 
and if you're not a Christian, how to handle this and know that only in Jesus, the risen Jesus, can you find forgiveness for this heart. Let's bow before our Lord as we pray this morning. Father, this is, uh, Father, this is what going verse by verse does. It teaches us the whole totality of God's Word. But Father, we thank you that passages like this are in here because it arrests, it accosts us, it makes us look in the mirror and, and realize exactly what we are before you. Yet, Lord, in you we know we can find complete and utter forgiveness, free from all sin and defilement and everything, even though our sin nature bucks against us. Thank you, Lord, that he who is in you is, there's a new creature. The old has gone and the old, or the new has come and the old is gone. We thank you for that. Give us wisdom today. Speak, Lord, as only you can. Thank you for your word. And thank you for sending Jesus, who absolutely takes this passage and nails it to the cross. It is finished. But, Lord, we're fighting here, so help us to do so with your strength. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, guys. Well, as we enter into this, I, I, I just want to give you a parenthetical note as we start out. If you look at your Bible, many of you were wondering, perhaps, or maybe you just glazed over it, Many of you, you probably do not have a verse 16. Do you see a verse 16 in your Bible? Most of you will not have a verse 16. Some of you all do. This is, this is not, let me just take an aside here to chase this before we get to the main brunt of the sermon. Uh, this is what uh, is typically found to be an addition later on. Now, for some of you, that, that may be very, uh, whoa, there's been an addition to the Bible Please do not take this for what anything it is. It's, it's uh, so a, a, a copier at some point added something in. But the cool thing about Bible study, and there's a lot of smarter people in this room that know this than I can, but the short of it is it doesn't appear in our best copies of the Gospels. So what we've done is we've gone through the best copies, and that's not there. All the other verses in, in Scripture, and there's some other passages, uh, this, this little phrase is not there. You might see it says, if you have ears, let him hear a very common phrase Jesus says, but the best manuscripts do not have that. Friends, I want to remind you that the Bible is God's Word. Amen? We believe that, but there are certain things that good study over the years has found that was not in the original as far as we can tell. Is it wrong? No. He who has ears, let him hear. Every parent in here says, amen. Keep that in there. But at the same time, this is not something that was in there. So I want you to know that as you get into it. It does not affect anything of doctrine. It does not affect anything of your study. It's just something that you may have in your Bible or may not have. I want you to know that's there. So we'll all get some more resources out on that, but I want to put that out before we get to the main burn of the sermon. So three places of defilement on the inside. Friends, I want to remind you here that what, what Jesus is doing is absolutely radical. He is getting ready to tell these guys that hundreds of years worth of tradition are worthless. Wow. What if someone came to our church and said, you know what? You can't sing three songs and do a sermon. It, Jesus said it was five songs. You would look at them and say, but you weren't here for 50 years, were you? You weren't around when we decided this. And you would be up in arms about it. That's exactly how these people are feeling. And Jesus turns now away from the Pharisees, and he goes to the crowd. Notice what he does. It says, after this, after this interaction with the Pharisees, he called again the crowd. These are people who had heard him teach, who had seen him, and, and who knew of him. And Jesus had a, a thing for the common people. He loved them so much. 
And it says, they, he said to them, he said, listen to me, all of you, understand that it's not about the washing of your hands. It's about what's on the inside. Remember, it all centers around verse 5. If you track up there in, in, in chapter 7, in verse 5, it says uh, the question they presented to Jesus. And, and he reminds them, he says, why do the disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And Jesus is rebuking these Pharisees even after he's out of their presence. They invented rules. If you want to be holy, do this. If you don't want to be holy, do this. It's like being in a club as a kid. You remember those things? The secret club that only you and your friend were a part of? And you go off in the corner in recess, and, and you have this club, and then someone else finds about the club, and they say, how do I join your club? And you and your friend look at each other like, I don't know. And we've got to come up with the rules. And you come up with these silly rules, like you've got to do five jumping jacks and shake your hands and blah, blah, blah. That's kind of what the Pharisees were doing. Their intentions were correct. They wanted to honor God, but in doing so, they created this, this club of, 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 of super spirituality that no one could be a part of because no one could handle the rules themselves. And what the Pharisees and scribes did is they felt the more religious you were, the better you were on the inside. Oh, if that were the case, friends, you would be here every day, wouldn't you? If that were the case, we would be here together every opportunity we had but Jesus tells them there in verse 15, as you see the defilement roots on the inside, he tells them very clearly that there is nothing outside a man which can defile him except that which goes in. That means all foods are clean to you. That means it's not just avoid pork and kosher foods. No food can impart moral defilement. No food you eat with your hands that are not washed correctly can turn you away spiritually. Food is nothing more than food. It has no impact on your soul. Moral purity doesn't depend on having the right washing of hands. It doesn't depend on eating certain things or not or throwing sanitizer all over it. What matters is, is what is on the inside. And that's why he says there in verse 15, as he goes on, he says what proceeds out of a person, what proceeds out of a person are what defile him. Jesus is turning upside down all their teachings. He denied all the teachings of the elders. He's saying to these people, look, you are so terrible on the inside. No matter what you do on the outside, it matters not a lick. So why do we have so many religions in the world that this is what you do? If you're a Hindu, you go to the Ganges River in Delhi and wash yourself there. If you are, if you are of a certain Christian framework like a Mormon, you go to the Mormon temple off I-435 and Shoal Creek Parkway hoping someday that you'll see the, 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 the highest level of heaven so that you can become a god because it's all about religiosity. But Jesus says, no, it's not about that. It's about what's on the inside. And someone may say, well, didn't the Old Testament say there are some foods that are clean and some foods that are unclean? Absolutely it did. But Leviticus separates the Old Covenant from the New, but none of these things in and of themselves were sinful. This is merely a picture of how holy God is. God is holy, 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 is He not? And this is what the late, if you, if you were looking for a great book to read, the great R.C. Sproul, if you're familiar with R.C. Sproul, uh, he taught on this, his book, Holiness, The Holiness of God. 
and, and R.C. just brought back uh, what was doctrine for years, is that God is a God that makes the things on a spiritual level that affect your heart and soul. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church in a week. It doesn't matter how many Hail Marys you say, how many, if you're a Muslim, how many prayers you pray five, seven, eight times a day. That's religiosity. What matters is, is that you trust the risen Jesus Christ who said it's not about the inside it's, or the outside, it's about the inside. If you are saved, you will want to follow him. If you are saved, you will want nothing more than to make sure your inside is clean. Look, if we're honest with ourselves this morning, most of us in this room can get away on a Sunday saying the right things, doing the right things, walking through the motions every day without any understanding of who God is and walk out the door and never be changed that Sunday because we know how to be religious. But what this is reminding us of is that God is a holy God and he makes a distinction based upon his holiness. It's not about the things you do for God. It's about what he did for you in Jesus Christ. It's a huge difference, guys. God does not accept you based on what you do. He accepts you based on what Jesus already did. And that's why, as Amy will put up on the screen, no matter what this dark world throws at you, no matter what dark thing lurks inside you, God's grace is up to the task. What comfort that is. Because there are days you look at yourself and you say, by golly, I'm back here again, God. And it's important to remember you never fight those daily heart battles alone because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. That's called rescuing grace. Today, you will be tempted to deny the sin that's in you. Well, pastor, I went to church today. Great, awesome. But how's your heart before the Lord? Look, you can check all the right things and do all the right steps. I've heard of pastors, and Nathaniel, brother, you've heard of this too, I'm sure, uh, of pastors who go to seminary to be trained, and you have teachers who share the gospel. Like, come on, Dr. So-and-so, we're Christians here. And then you hear of a brother who wasn't a brother at the time, a guy who gets saved in class, who thought himself to be saved because he could check mark all the boxes. He looks good. He talks good. He does this well. He must be a Christian. But in his heart of hearts, he knew not Christ. Friends, never assume that someone's a Christian just because they're a good moral person. Assume they're a Christian only because they proclaim that Jesus and his grace alone, risen from the dead, is what gets them going every single day. To the degree you tell yourself your problems are on the outside and not the inside is the degree you're not interested in the power of Jesus Christ. And if Christ really does live inside of you, why would you panic if you failed again? Don't panic. God doesn't. He's in heaven and he looks down and he doesn't do anything but sovereignly control it all for his glory. What a great reminder. And I am reminded too that as we look at the inside, as we look at the inside, our prayer should be, Lord, let the meditation of my heart and whatever comes to my lips be honoring in your presence, O God. Lord, whatever it is, you show me. So defilement starts within the inside. I want you to see, secondly, defilement rots in the heart. Defilement rots in the heart. And you notice that Jesus, he, he, he talked to the Pharisees in verses 1 to 13, and he turns to the common crowd, but now he's going to his disciples. He's doing what he often does. And here in verse 17, he's going to remind them of these truths, but he's also going to remind them that they are still slow to understand. And he tells them here, you notice in verse 17, it says, and when he, Jesus, had entered the house, we don't know what house this is, somebody's house, and left the people, 
his disciples asked him about the parable. Now, I want to remind you that a parable is, is not just a, uh, a quaint little story like Aesop's fables or, or a bedtime story you read it with your kids. A, a parable is, a, is a, a natural story, true or not, that, that, that points to a spiritual reality. And Jesus is going to give them a spiritual reality. But don't you love that? Don't you love that the disciples can be told, don't you get it still? Where you been, man? Been in class the whole time. It's the end of the year. If you're, I don't think we have any teachers in here today. But if you're a teacher at the end of the year, you get these emails all the time or, or questions from students. You know, I haven't turned in my homework. <laughs> I've been really bad on tests. But my mom says if I don't pass this class, uh, you know, fill in the blanks going to happen to me. And they go, can I get any extra credit? Please give me extra credit. And there's always that teacher who gives them like a whole A because they, they write a one-page paper or something like that. But Jesus just tells them how it is. Guys, why are you so slow to get this? Why haven't you gotten this? Because he's taught them time and time again. But I'm grateful, aren't you, that God tells us that we don't have it all figured out? I'm grateful that when we doubt, it's okay to ask that question. And this is what he says, verse 18. He tells them, he says, and he said to them, then are you without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? So whatever goes in, food is only physical. Food is only physical. It doesn't defile the spiritual. Physical pollution doesn't cause spiritual pollution necessarily. But we have to ask that question, what is the heart? If you're like me, you see hearts all over the place. It's on your smartphone. It's on your Facebook. It's on your letters. It's everywhere. What in the world is the heart? The heart is the control center of the human personality. It's your inner soul. It's your inner uh, spirit. It's the seat of your attitudes and your emotions and everything you are. It's where your will, your desires, your loyalties, and all these things. It's who you are before God. Psalm 139. And isn't that good? You know, we always say that great phrase, some of y'all from the South, oh, just bless his sweet little heart. <laughs> what does that really even mean? That's sweet spiritual talk for saying, I really want to say something else, but I'm just going to say, oh, bless his heart. Well, the Pharisees made the religion of activities the external, but Jesus says there's no great blessed little heart. Jesus said the heart inside is pretty crazy, rotten, wicked. When you lift the hood of man's heart and you look into the engine, there's a dirty, polluted oil. Not even a 20-minute change of Jiffy Lube or Valvoline can change it. Or your money back, right? Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. Ecclesiastes 9, 3, the heart of the sons of men are full of evil. Sin will make you stupid, in other words. Genesis 6, 5, God said as he looked at the flood time, Every intent of the thoughts of their heart were continually evil. Genesis 8.21, the intent of man's heart was evil from youth. You know this. You don't have to teach your kids to sin. They just do it naturally. And that's something even evolutionists can't deny. And that's why as your pastor, I never want you to hear me say, I have a message from my heart. Oh, golly gee, I hope not. You might like to see what's in my heart, but you don't need to hear that message, let me tell you. You need to hear from the Word of God. What is in direct contradiction of what the Pharisees taught? They were about the external. God was about the inside. Deuteronomy 6.5, love Him with all your heart, 
Psalm 24 says, Who can go up to the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in His place? He who has a clean heart and a pure, clean hands and a pure heart. Pure heart means that you are clean and holy on the inside. Psalm 15 says, Who may abide in your tent or on your holy hill? Modern translation, who can have a personal relationship with God? It's God who, those who come through Christ who have a clean heart. Or you remember David, don't you, when they were looking for a king and, and, and the prophet Samuel saw all of David's brothers as they were and he said, no, 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 no. And then he saw the, you know, David, the little guy, the runt of the litter. And God said, for the, or God said to Samuel, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart. Psalm 51.10, that very David prayed, God, make in me a clean heart. And Jesus in Matthew 5.8 said, it is the pure in heart that will see the kingdom of God. The emphasis of all true religion is on the heart. Friends, you can come in and check all the boxes at Tower View Baptist Church. You can go to membership class. You can come to church every time it's open. But if your heart is not set on the things of God, nothing we say or do together matters until that is set right. That's why in Mark 7, 6, and I think this is true, and I think it's an indication, an indictment against us all. Mark 7, 6, this is what Jesus said. He said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching the doctrines of the commandments of men. You know, each Sunday I pray that we come in and say, Lord, whatever I've faced this week, whatever person I've dealt with, whatever situation is in front of me, help me to not just honor you with my lips, but Father, help me to honor you with my heart. Uh, and you'll see this on the screen, but it takes the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to turn your heart from sin towards God. Stop, be amazed, and celebrate God's grace. Do you want to know the difference between a lot of Christian denominations? It comes down to how you view the human heart. Either you are completely dead in your sin, or you are completely able somehow to work out your salvation for yourself. We know this to be very true. If I go up to someone who has passed away and I yell in Spanish, I don't even know what that is, but you, you figure that out. I yell in pig Latin. I yell in French. I yell in English. Hey, get up. Get up. He's passed away. He's dead, isn't he? He's dead in his sin. The only way that person comes alive is if Jesus does what he did with Lazarus and he says, come forth. How you view the heart impacts how you view everything else in your Christianity. If you say, well, that person's not as bad as that person, then you're doing what the Corinthians did, and that's not right either. The measure of your godliness is not determined by the physical facade of your life. 1 Timothy 4.8 says physical training is of some value, but godliness lasts forever. The true measure of where you are in this moment with God is your heart condition. Remember, Jesus died not only so that we would experience His grace, but His heart and life-changing power as well. Friends, it is so easy. It is so easy. But you're doing the most radical thing by coming to church this morning. You realize as you back out of your driveway, if you have a driveway or apartment, whatever it is, and you come here, you are saying to the world, I am different. And you are saying to the world, I believe there's a risen Jesus. And even though my heart has rotted on the inside, I believe he has the power to cleanse it. Be amazed at that. That as we are dying, God is renewing. 
As we are passing, God is shaping us for eternity. As we are going away, God is preparing and fitting us to for more like Christ and be fitted for heaven. What a glorious thing that is. As we rot on the inside, Jesus satisfies us more and more. What a transforming grace it is. And verse 19, you all are going to say amen because you're Baptist and this is good. Look at verse 19. You got it? He declared that all foods are clean. Oh, great. That's why Red Lobster stays in business, let me tell you that. He declared all foods are clean. It is not the food that defiles you. It is how your heart is impacted by the sin of your life. Now, yes, so, Pastor, you're saying that gluttony is not a sin. Of course we are. If you, are, if you overindulge in a food to the point where that becomes your trust, that is definitely a sin. Let's, be, let's call our cards for what it is. But what he is teaching is that food in and of itself is not the problem. It's how the heart is, is seen and how the heart is not transformed by the grace of God. That is the problem. So go home, eat your Oreos for lunch. Go home, eat your kale for lunch. Aaron Redenbaugh, I see you. Go home and eat whatever you eat for lunch to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31. It's not food that's the problem. It's the heart. Finally, as we close with this, and I'll do point three, and we'll, we'll apply this at the very end as well. But not only the defilement roots in the inside, it rots in the heart. But finally, in verses 20 and 23, it reveals its fruit on the outside. Notice verse 20 as uh, Jesus tells them. You, it says, and he said, or literally he was saying, he kept saying this over and over. That's the implication. He kept repeating it. He said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. Look, this is not your in-laws' problem. Your sin at work is not your boss's problem. It's not your, your spouse's. It's not your children's. It is everyone's problem starting in the heart. But the devil made me do it. Oh, really? Oh, but this person caused this to happen. You, you remember this, don't you? Saul did this. In 1 Samuel 15, Saul was told very clearly, don't kill the people or kill everyone. Don't do anything. Or I'm sorry, mix the stories here. He said, don't do anything. Samuel told him, until I come. And Saul did what most of us would do. He got a little nervous. He saw the crowds. He saw the armies coming. And Saul did the priestly duty as a king when he was not supposed to do that. And he did not obey. And he said, but the people made me do it. But the people, but the people. Friends, your sin is your sin, and it will always be your sin. Now, that doesn't mean that you weren't in a group complacent with someone else, but at the end of the day, your sin is your sin before a holy God. That's why your mama can't save you. That's why your pastor can't save you. That's why going to a shaman or a priest means zilch unless you go through the only name that saves, and that is Jesus Christ. Verse 21 says that we, he says, from within, Jesus does. Notice he keeps saying this over and over. How many times does it take for him to get it? He tells him again. For from within, notice that, from within, what you are on the inside isn't just for 2,000 years ago. Human nature has not changed. Human nature has not changed. If there was a possibility that someone like a Napoleon or a Hitler or a Mussolini or a Pol Pot could have happened in other parts of the world at other times, you better believe it would have happened if it didn't already. But he says it comes from within. What comes from within, Jesus? Well, he tells you. It says evil thoughts. Verse 21, evil thoughts. 
Notice he says, from within, out of the heart of a man first starts in the mind. Your heart first starts with sin in your mind. It's an umbrella statement. It, it speaks of the source. Uh, it, it's just one of those things. And this is why people that teach the, the Bible teaches uh, a complete free will of the human get this wrong because, friends, our minds are enslaved to sin. We are sinners, heart, mind, will, and soul. Everything that comes out of our mouth starts primarily in the heart but traces also to the mind. I'm not a computer person, but junk in, junk out. If you put junk code in your computer, you're going to get junk out. If, if I expect to run the best race of my life as a runner and I eat, of all things, uh, pizza before a race, I'm going to get a terrible result as I go out and run. If all I eat is candy and bonbons all day, I probably won't be in very good shape. Amen? What is a bonbon anyway? I don't know what that is. If you find what that is, you let me know. It's chocolate, yeah, for sure. But it is, uh, we always say that, but it, uh, oh, it's ice cream. There you go. Some of y'all are going to have to teach me some bonbons someday, so it'll be, <laughs> it'll be all right. Proverbs chapter 6, though, says, Can a man take a fire to his bosom and not be burned? The answer is no. Re everything you do comes from this. This is why Romans 12, 2 says, Renew your mind and not be conformed by the things of this world. And even after becoming a Christian, we have evil thoughts, and Jesus lists several of them there. First, he says, there's sexual immorality. Kind of the garden variety here, the big picture. He says there's sexual immorality. This is every kind of unlawful sexual activity, but not adultery. That's, that's later. It's a broad term. This means premarital sex. This means homosexuality. This would include incest, bestiality. bestiality. It all comes out of the mind. James 1 talks about this. You weren't born with bad DNA necessarily. That is true, but it's pumped out of an evil mind as well. He says theft, stealing answers on an exam, taking taxes is not yours, take whatever. And then he says the mind leads to murder. Isn't this what Jesus said in Matthew 5? That if you hate someone so much, you think about it time and time again, that you're probably going to do perhaps the physical action. And then he specifically says adulteries, where a married person cheats on his or her spouse. But notice in verse 22, it gets a little more out of the mind, and it starts going into the heart and to the will. See what it says? It says coveting. Why is this here? I mean, we went from all these outside bad stuff to this, but it's a craving for more. It's going from the heart to the mind to the will. You aren't content with where you are, and you want something someone else has. And that leads to all kinds of wickedness. Your Bible may say something different. All kind of evil deeds come from the mind. Well, if I just show up at this time, I know I go to Hy-Vee every day, and I'm speaking third person here, please, but I go to Hy-Vee every day, and boy, that bank truck is right there at the same time. They're always talking. I, I bet you I could sneak up like Groundhog Day and take a bag and no one would know any different. Oh, come on. You've thought about these things before, guys. Maybe not to that extent, but in different ways. But it leads to deceit. The word here is a trapping an animal to lure them in by deception like a fake duck for a hunter hunting on a pond. Once you fall into it, you try and lead someone else into thinking it's okay. Well, God said it's okay. God told me it's okay for me to do this, but you can't do this. And then sensuality, it goes from the mind to the heart, but now you're getting into the actions, unrestrained moral behavior. 
you live like an animal and it feels good. And then you're living like an animal, it feels good. But then you see someone else doing a worse sin and then you get envy, is what the Scripture says. You get an evil eye, literally. The more it grows, the more it eats you up. And then people start saying, well, that's not very Christian of you to do. And so your heart and your mind and your actions start slandering. Literally, they start blaspheming people. And then pride comes in, well, I'm not that bad as this person over here. It's a self-inflated view. And then Jesus closes. Notice this last word he closes with, friends. What's the last word that comes out of your heart, your mind, and your actions? It's foolishness. Everything leads to foolishness. You become a total goof-off without any moral responsibility before God or before man. Thirteen altogether. And Jesus says, this comes from within. You're born with a wicked heart. You're born with a twisted soul. You weren't born with a good heart. The image of God has been corrupted in you, but praise God, there is good news. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came to give his life that anyone who's able to, 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 to come to him. And friends, it is open to all. It is not for a certain race. It's not for a certain socioeconomic class. Jesus' invitation is for all who will come. And praise God for that. And I will, uh, this last phrase here, but anyone who's able to convince himself, as Amy will put up, that his biggest problems are on the outside has little interest in the grace of God. Your biggest problems are not on the outside. It's on the inside. Let me close with three quick lessons as we do. Time is running short. Number one, friends, especially speaking to you who have kids or who have grandkids or who are around kids, who minister to kids. And Chris, I, I just want to say a word to Chris Lancaster. Chris, uh, Chris was uh, taught very well last night at the men's dinner about what it means to be a father and a parent. And Chris and I are sharing notes here a little bit because uh, this was made on before Thursday. And Chris w- gave us 13 steps almost to the key. I have it written down at least. And Chris hit on this. And thank you, brother, because this... We talked about how God speaks in multiple ways through multiple people on multiple subjects at the same time. This is key of that. For kids or all, we must set real boundaries in our lives, but the real issue is a heart issue. This is why you cannot legislate morality, folks. This is why you can get all the best laws in the world, even good ones that fight against abortion and things, and we should fight for those, but that doesn't change the human heart. That's why you could not pay Washington, D.C. to be the cleaner-uppers of society. The only one who can cleanse us is Jesus and his gospel. And this is why we must be born again. Look, we should set real boundaries for our kids, but the real issue is the heart issue. How many times in this last week have our kids said, we've asked them that question, Do you really, are you really sorry? Oh, you've been there, haven't you? And they grit those teeth, and you know that heart is fighting against the reality that the boundaries have been set. It's a heart issue. We must watch over our activities and attitudes. We must get to the heart of our kids, our grandkids, or the kids in our church. But ultimately, it is God's grace that has to change that heart. We need to point them to that. I Look, I would rather have a kid that is like a bull in a china shop and, and can be corrected with a soft heart that a moralistic kid that walks out of the church and becomes just another statistic who doesn't love Jesus and just becomes a Pharisee wherever he or she goes. I hope you see that difference. doesn't mean we let them run wild and, and wicked. What I'm saying is, is that as we mentor our kids, may we do so by pointing them back to Christ that even though they be like the prodigal son and really wreck the world of it, 
that, and there is consequence for that, that God's grace is never such that they can't come home and be forgiven by, first, their Heavenly Father, and secondly, their earthly parents or family. The only way our heart can be cleansed is by the Word of God. Secondly, be where the Word of God is being ministered as often as you can be. How do you guard your heart? You guard it by surrounding yourself with people and things and places that point you back to Jesus Christ. I pray our church is less programmatic and more relationship-driven than ever before. We have, praise God, uh, Derek Murtry, uh, I don't know where you're at, Derek is here somewhere, and Derek was voted in last week as our shared team leader. Praise God, I'm excited for the programs, the events we'll have through that, for the training we'll have through him, equipping us in evangelism as we both share that load. But one thing, look, you can have programs all day, but if you are not seeking to grow together in Jesus as you do those programs, then they're just programs. Programs can't change a heart, only Jesus can, but I pray as we minister wherever we do, we do so with the aim to fellowship, to share, how are you spiritually, how can I pray for you, what are you struggling with this week, and we're okay to have those conversations. And let me be honest, that's awkward. It shouldn't be, but it is, because we live in a very culture society that says, I can't share what God's doing in my life. Friends, that's the greatest tragedy, because what it, where else will you, if not around God's people? And finally, don't let present failures or past abuse or a list of accolades or lingering shame have more authority over your heart than the gospel. Some of you are carrying around guilt in your soul that has been weighing you down for years, even weeks, even days, and you're thinking about it right now, and it just never seems to go away. Have you truly taken that to Jesus? Have you truly gone to him and said, Lord, this is what I'm feeling. Sometimes you think more than you pray more, and you need to pray more than you think more. Does that make sense? Sometimes we talk ourselves out of grace when God says grace is available all the time. Friends, some of us have royally messed up, whether that be before ourselves and God or with others, but praise God that we have the reminder that we can rehearse God's faithfulness. And can I say this too? Not to rehearse other people's failures. Because your heart wants revenge. Your heart wants this. Your heart wants to do this and this and this and this. Offload as much of today's junk, slights, disappointments on Jesus as you can. He can handle it. Your heart will only heal when you allow the God of the heart to take what is in that heart and forgive it. Marinate on the gospel ten more times than you marinate on your failures and someone else's failures. What a gracious person you'll become. So where does it come from? It comes from the heart. But guys, I am grateful that Christ has given us not just a one-time fix for eternity, and he has, but the day-to-day grace to fight this thing called the heart. It's tough, isn't it? If we're really honest, this is tough. And I pray as we go forward as a church, next week we're looking at a woman who, who was healed, and she had a loss of blood and all this stuff. As we come before this, May you be challenged to know that Jesus can not only heal the physical, but even more the spiritual, because he is the risen Lord. Let's pray today as we close. Father God, as we come to the end, we want to thank you for the grace that is ours in Christ. Father, our hearts deceive us, our minds deceive us, our will deceives us of of the 13 uh, sins that Jesus listed. Father, we know they are real. Maybe not always overt, but, but certainly they're there. 
the possibility of them are there. Father, be with us. Guard us, as the, as the Lord's Prayer says. Lead us not in temptation, but, but Father, guard our hearts. For it is, as Proverbs says, the wellspring of life. Father, as we come together as one church with one heart, we confess any sin that we have corporately, both unknown and known. Father, because we desire a clean heart before you. Father, thank you that those of us in Christ have been exchanged a stony heart with a fleshy heart, as Ezekiel says. But Father, it's you who must move among us. Father, may your spirit, as only he can, convict, challenge, and draw us, but also comfort us with the fact that there, though there may be consequence for the sins that come out of the heart, in Christ there's nothing that can have us be loved less because in Christ we are fully, completely accepted for all that Jesus did. Father, thank you for this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.